0: Wow, thank you for that. Um, if you have your Bibles this morning, could you grab them and turn to Philippians 4? Uh, if you don't have a Bible this morning, there's some blue ones uh, in the pews in front of you. Uh, we're going to be on page 812 of that if you need to grab one of those. If you don't have a Bible, just please take that home with you. Uh, that's our gift to you. Uh, it's the, one of the most important things we could give you. We want you to have that. Uh, I'd like to welcome back the Canada team. Um, if you don't know who went to Canada, just look. The people who are walking a little bit slower and look really tired today, they're probably the ones who went. Um, but we'd like to welcome them back. It was really, we missed you all last week. It's good to have you back, on, and uh, it's good to have anybody here um, today. Uh, because one of the great, and mo- greatest and most consistent joys in my life uh, is just gathering with all of you every week. Uh, there's really nothing quite like being together as the body of Christ and uh, kind of sharing life together, worshiping. God for what he's done, opening his word, just kind of inviting him to have uh, his way in our midst. Um, And because of that, there's just so much potential that's jam-packed into every Sunday morning that we get together. Um, But there's also a great temptation, right? Because in the press of life, in in our hurriedness, in the midst of the demands, even this can become routine, right? That you could have honestly... ...woken up this morning, got yourself ready... ...and came here with the best of intentions... ...and you could be present through all that happens... ...in this midst today... ...and then you could go and walk out those doors... ...and leave behind everything God did here. Uh, Not with devious intent... ...not even intentionally at all... uh, ...not soaked in apathy... ...it can just happen... Right? Because when you walk out those doors, you walk into a world of, of schedules and demands and trials and cell phones and lunch plans and yard work and ball games and more and more and more. And so the rest of your day, the rest of the week, there can be no thought given to what God did in our midst or what he might have put a finger on in your life. Right? And gathering together as Jesus' church becomes nothing more than just one more item you checked off your to-do list. We're aware of this temptation. We've tried different ways to keep it in front of you because we know how capable we are of the same thing. And so we've prayed that when we gather in this room, uh, that that would not be the only time you consider these things. Uh, for our study in Philippians, our, our small groups are getting together and discussing and pouring over the exact same verses that we're teaching on in the sermons. Right? and All those things are good, but better than all of that, right, is just when God comes in and shakes it up. We're in his grace and love, he just grabs hold of us through the power of his word and his spirit, and it begins a process of change and transformation that literally alters your life. You can't walk out and forget that. We've been in Philippians for 15 weeks now. I know some of you, it probably feels like 45 weeks, but we've been in Philippians for 15 weeks, and we've called this series Rising Above, For we've been looking at this letter and asking God to help us rise above the things in our lives that keep us from having more of Jesus. Right? The goal of our lives is to know Jesus Christ and there are things that we need to rise out of and come, up, come away from so that our focus can be squarely on him and as a result of that what we will experience is a more fulfilled heightened reality. So Paul wanted for these Philippian believers, that's what we want for you and I when we, we rise above selfishness to humility and right? we rise above worry and experience peace and we rise above self-sufficiency to a life of faith. One of the things that's been really encouraging to us as we've gone through the study is just how you've responded to all this. Some of you have shared stories how God has broken through the routine and shook up things in your life and you've been faithful to respond to how he's been leading. There's been stories of small groups looking to invest in and mentor newer believers. Stories of of groups showing incredible generosity to members in their midst and and partners together in sharing the gospel. It's really encouraging and we're coming to the latter parts of this letter. And as we do, I want to I tell you, I know this study hasn't been easy. Right? Because even though at face value Philippians is a joyous read, it's, it's a love letter from this dear servant of Christ to a group of people who meant so much to him. And so as you read Philippians, joy and affection and contentment and peace just kind of flow out of Paul and all through the letter. But when you peel back the curtain just a little bit, And you realize the circumstances under which this letter was written that Paul was wrongly imprisoned and that people are trying to capitalize on that and harm him more, that he is in the midst of suffering for Jesus Christ, then that has caused us to stop and ask some really difficult questions. Do I love the church and the people in it as much as he did? Why don't I rejoice in the Lord always? Why isn't my life marked more and more by peace and joy when my circumstances are so much better than Paul's were? And if I'm being completely transparent today, then there's a part of me, it's the sinful part, but there's a part of me that's just a little weary. Because studying this little book has spiritually beaten me up. I don't know how many times I've written down in my notes two words while looking through Philippians. And the two words were, that's hard. That's hard. And what I'm discovering is that when I get Jesus, when I'm his, he pursues me relentlessly. And thank God for that. But we talked about last week how God's desire for us is holiness in the inner parts. So that means holiness in my mind and in my heart and in my soul. And Jesus just does not stop going there. And so I'd love to tell you today that, that Paul brings this book to really soft, comfortable landing for us. Right, but you know better than that by now. In fact, what, what we're going to look at over the next couple weeks, is, uh, at least, is a temptation that while it's not unique to those of us who are American Christians, it's at least powerfully present in our lives. Um, but you must also know that in the midst of that, Paul will give us an incredible reminder and a promise of encouragement. So let's look together at Philippians 4, and we're going to start in verse 10 this morning. Philippians chapter 4, we're gonna, we'll pick it up in verse 10, and Paul writes this, How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know uh, that you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have a chance to help me. Um, So we find out again that uh, in this verse that the believers at Philippi sent a gift to Paul through Epaphroditus. They heard that he was in need, right? So they got some money together and they sent it Paul's way to support him as he continues to live and carry out his ministry. This is a very similar model to how we support ministries, our missionaries today. uh, But this carried a very personal level to it. And so uh, we discover, not surprisingly... That this church in Philippi loved Paul in the same way that he loved them. All right, so this relationship between Paul and these believers is inspiring to me. And what's amazing is how open-handed it is. Right? Think about this. Paul wasn't born in Philippi. Okay, he, was, he wasn't born and raised there. He went there with Timothy and Silas and some others following God's leading for the sole intent of spreading the good news of Jesus. And in Philippi they met a woman named Lydia who was a very wealthy woman. And so when she placed her faith and trust in Christ, she then opened up her home to Paul and the Philippian church began meeting in her home. And so they built the church out of her home and more and more people gave their lives to Christ. And at the end of Acts 16 we find Paul and Silas and Timothy ...at Lydia's house, meeting with all of these believers in Philippi... ...and it says that they encouraged them and then they departed. They left them. Why? Because there were other towns. And there were other Lydia's. And there were other people who needed to know the good news of Jesus. And instead of being bitter about their leaving these Philippian believers... ...did the opposite... Because Paul's travels took him far enough away that they could have no contact with him for a time and so these people waited and they waited until Paul was finally close enough and when they got word, they gathered all the resources together and they sent him what they could. They were actively pursuing and looking for a chance to give back to him and help him in his ministry. And man, this is why this is beautiful to me. Because as human beings, we have a tendency to hoard the things that we love, don't we? We're going to wrap our arms around them and keep them safe. This is a really silly example, but it proves my point. I love Pilot G2 pins. You guys ever use one of these things? This is the greatest pin on the market. If you've never used this, you've actually never used a pin. Right? You use some cheap imitation that somebody told you was a pin, but it wasn't it. All right, This is what a real pin is. Right? and Inevitably, when you're around someone, uh, they're going to ask you at some point to, to borrow a pin or something they can write with. And Even if I have one of these in my pocket... I'll get up and go to another office or go to a desk drawer and try to find any other writing utensil in the world to give to them because what if they don't give it back to me, right? And then I have to write without a G2 pen. And What kind of life is that? No one wants to live that type of life, right? And so to help me, um, to help me just have a giving heart and a sharing heart, who wants a free pen this morning? <laughs> there you go, Joe. All right. That hurt me more than you know, all right? Joe, take care of that, all right? Now, I'm being a little sarcastic, okay, but this gets dangerous, right? This actually gets really dangerous when it comes to something much more important than pins, right? When Christians both individually and and as churches wrap their arms around their resources and try to keep them safe. We've got to have our nest egg. We've got to take care of us. We've got to look out for our own. And God has slowly and quite painfully revealed to me that every single thing he gives me in this life... He gives it to me so that I may share it with others for his glory. That gift, no matter what it was, was never meant to die with me. So my life, my salvation, my marriage, my children, my money, my time, my youth, my talents, my passions, my training, whatever it is, I am to be open-handed with that and share it with others. There's just no room for clinging in the life of a follower of Christ, not to the things of this world. We're to cling to Christ. We're to cling to the cross. And everything else, we hold loosely. See, Paul shared himself with this church. He left his home. He left other people and other churches he dearly loved. And he gave himself to them. He taught them everything they needed to know. He shared his life with them. He shared so much of himself with them that he ended up in one of their prisons for a time. Right? And when it was time for him to go, they were open-handed with him. Let him go with their blessing, sharing him with Thessalonica and Berea and Athens and many other towns and many other churches and many other people. And then finally when their opportunity came, they were open-handed to him, sharing their resources to aid his ministry. It was just a beautiful God-honoring relationship. Are you an open-handed person? Do you share your life? Do you share your family do you share your talents and your resources and your money and your gifts and your time and your home and your love with others or do God's gracious gifts to you have this way of ending with you and terminating within you and your domain how about this place are we in an open-handed ministry or do we as a church build and operate ministries to share what God has given us with Terre Haute and the rest of the world? If you're, if you're a lay leader, you oversee a ministry in this place, do you operate under the mindset of using what God has given us to share it open-handedly with the world that we've been called to love? Or is, or is most of our focus within these walls, do we cling to our reserves? Do we close our fists holding on to what God has freely given us? And may it never be so in this place. Through this book we've learned so much from the work of God and the life of Paul but we can learn a lot from what God has done in the lives of these Philippian believers as well. This open-handed model of just sharing. And After Paul thanks them for their gift he makes this incredible statement. So look at verse 11. He thanks them for the gift, and then verse 11 he says, Not that I was ever in need right, for I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret Of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or with little. Now, Paul has made some really incredible statements in this book. But this one might take the cake. And on their own, right, on their own, all of these singular statements, they seem unattainable in this life. But if you bring them all together, all of a sudden, logically, they begin to make sense and work together. So think with me. This is the man who wrote in chapter 1. That he's rejoicing in the fact that he's in jail and other people are trying to harm him. He wrote in chapter 1 that to live is Christ and to die is gain. He writes in chapter 2 that he would rejoice even to give up and lose his life for the sake of Christ. In chapter 3 he writes that everything else, hear those words, everything else is worthless compared to knowing Jesus. And now in chapter 4 he writes that he has learned the secret of being content in every situation. So he's content with a lot and with a little. He's content with a full stomach and with an empty one. And separately they don't make sense, do they? It doesn't make any sense to me to think it's awesome to be in jail. It doesn't make any sense to me to to rejoice in people trying to harm me. It doesn't make any sense to be willing to die. It doesn't make any sense to see that every single thing this world has to offer is worthless. And it doesn't make any sense to be content when you are poor and you are hungry and you're in need. But, I want to argue to you today that it actually makes total sense when you bring them all together. To show you how, I want you to, to hold your place in Philippians 4 and turn with me uh, to Mark 10. So if you your Bibles, turn over, uh, keep your page in Philippians 4, but turn over to Mark 10. And we're going to look at a story uh, together in Mark 10 that I think vividly kind of paints this picture for us. Mark chapter 10, I'm going to start in verse 17. Mark ten seventeen says this. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Well, teacher, the man replied... I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There's still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come follow me. And at this the man's face fell and he went away sad for he had many possessions. All right, so in Mark 10, this young man comes running up to Jesus. We're told in the other Gospels that he was a ruling man. He was a very respected young man in his community. And he has a question. He wants to know what he can do to get eternal life. It's a good question. Right? And so he's, what he's expecting back from Jesus is a checklist of things to do. And I believe that this young man is also expecting to be able to tell Jesus, I've already done all those things. And I think that that this young man did not see this conversation playing out at all the way it did because I believe that he felt he was going to get nothing but praise and affirmation from Jesus. He's going to get one big public pat on the back. And I believe that Jesus was totally aware of that uh, just because of how we see him lead this young man through this discussion. So he says, What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus tells the young man, You know the commandments. And he begins to list a series of commandments in the Old Testament law, but Jesus doesn't list them all. And I believe that Jesus knows this young man's heart so well, he listed only the commandments that this guy would have actually believed that he has kept his whole life. And sure enough, the guy says, well, teacher, I've done all that. I've obeyed all those commandments, even since I was young, and so this guy's standing there, and he, he's fully expecting and waiting to hear from Jesus, "Well done, son, eternal life is yours. Go in peace." Only that's not what he gets from Jesus' at all, is it? And because Jesus looks at him, and, and Mark tells us that his heart welled up with love for this young man, because he saw in front of him a young man who thought that he had it all together. This, this guy who believed he could somehow earn his way to eternal life. But when Jesus saw him, for the first time, someone saw the real thing. Right. Because what Jesus saw was not a well-dressed, wealthy, put-together, righteous young man. What Jesus saw was his heart, and he saw that it was wicked, and he saw that it belonged to something other than God. And so what Jesus wanted to do was twofold. First, he wanted to remove from this young man's life what had taken hold of his heart. And secondly, he wanted to offer himself in its place. And so he says to the guy, go. Go and sell it all. All that stuff, all those possessions, all those things that your identity and worth and status lies in and take all of that sweet money that you've earned son and give it all away and you'll have treasures in heaven and then follow me, let me fill the void, let me have the throne in your heart that currently belongs to your possessions and live the rest of your days trusting not in yourself and not in your money and not in your wealth but in me And the guy just walks away. He walked away. He gets the offer of a lifetime and he chooses comfort. He gets the offer of eternity and he chooses money. He gets the offer of purpose and identity and fulfillment and he chooses stuff. See what Jesus was not telling this man what he was not telling him is that his money and his stuff is sinful. He was not telling him that by selling it and giving it to the poor that would make him earn eternal life. He was telling him that the only thing that grants you eternal life is when Jesus has your heart. Only by surrendering to Jesus and his life and his death and resurrection can we ever find life and life eternity. And what was standing between this man and Jesus having his heart was that stuff. And he couldn't let go. Jesus says in Matthew 6, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is going to be. And this young man just couldn't let go of his riches and his possessions and his stuff because they owned his heart. See, the question that Mark 10 asks all of us isn't whether or not we own nice stuff. The question is whether or not that stuff owns us. So what owns your heart? I'm I'm finding that Jesus needs to own more and more of my heart and he will not stop until he has all of it because if he actually owned every bit of it then I could honestly and freely claim everything that Paul claims in Philippians Because like Paul says in chapter 4 he has learned the secret of living in every situation with contentment And I I believe that the secret in that statement and to all the others he makes in Philippians is what Paul has told us from his own lips in Philippians 3. Listen to these words again. We covered them a few weeks ago. Philippians 3, Paul writes, Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For his sake I have discarded everything else, counting it as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. What it turns out is that Paul actually believed those words when he wrote them. He actually believed them. Right, because where his treasure was, that's where his heart was. And Jesus was his treasure and therefore Jesus owned his heart. All right, so literally being thrown in prison was great because it got Paul more of Jesus and it gave him a chance to tell new people about Christ and what he's done. People trying to harm Paul was actually to be rejoiced in because they were preaching in Jesus' name. And that's all Paul's heart wanted. He would rejoice to give up his life because it would bring glory to Christ and he would get to see Jesus face to face and he would be content in every situation because Jesus owned his heart. And Paul had found that in the good and in the bad, in the highs and the lows, when he had enough and when he didn't, in times of strength and in times of suffering, Jesus Christ was more than enough because he owned all of him. And all of us, you see, all of us who belong to Christ have experienced that from time to time, haven't we? And yet, I find myself lacking when I read this book. It's no fault of Christ, but mine. Because when I think through my life, there are times when I don't rejoice in the Lord. There are hours and days marked by worry and stress and unrest. There are times where I'm just completely discontent with what is happening to me. And my suffering, even if you could call it that, pales in comparison with what Paul went through. And if we're honest, there are many in here today who would say the same of their lives. So what's happening? Is Christ somehow more sufficient for Paul than for you and I? Not at all. Listen to these words in 1 Timothy Timothy 6. They're also written by Paul. I think they hold a big key for us. First Timothy chapter 6 says this, Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and into destruction. Right Now, in 1 Timothy 6, Paul is talking about material things specifically, but he sets up a broader reaching spiritual point. And he starts by telling Timothy that contentment actually really is great wealth. Right? That being content in a godly way makes you a very rich person spiritually. And so he tells Timothy, Timothy, as long as you've got food and clothing, be content. Because physically, that's all you need. And spiritually, Christ has your heart and your future. It's all you require. But then he says this, listen to verse 9 again. People who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. Now Paul's talking about people who are not content. The the reason they are not is because they long to be rich. Their heart wants something other than God. And And this is not sinful because what they desire is sinful. It's sinful because what they desire, they actually desire it more than they want God. And Paul says when discontentment takes root in your life and it takes hold of you, then what happens is you become trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that will plunge you into ruin and destruction. It's not a happy verse. Now think about it. This young man's possessions in Mark 10, those possessions weren't evil. There's nothing, nothing inherently evil about any of them, but his heart belonged to them. And therefore he walked away from the one person who could save his soul from destruction. What else could you call that but a foolish, harmful decision that led him him to ruin? All because his heart belonged to something other than God. And it was idolatry. It was idolatry. and What I'm finding is that you and I are idolaters. Right? Sure, we don't build a golden pig in here and pray to it but there are things in our lives there are desires that our heart wants there are longings that we pursue ahead of and more than and before Christ and friends they're not to be taken lightly It's humbling. Uh, It's been humbling to read through this little letter together and to hear calls on my life like to rejoice in the Lord always, to not be anxious about anything, to be content in every situation, to put others before myself always, to see suffering as a privilege. And I'm so grateful for God's Word. I'm so thankful that Paul wrote chapter 4 of this little book because without the ending, I may have been left wondering. Why can't I experience what Paul writes about? Why can't that be me? Why, why can't that be my soul? What is the hindrance that's holding me back? Right. And God reveals it to me through chapter 4 that it's in those very struggles that we have that we can actually find the answer. Because if you think hard about your life, if you take note of those areas in which you feel anxiety, take note of those situations in which you feel stress, take note of what's happening in your life when you are all of a sudden discontent, that it will be those moments of discord, those moments of stress and lack of peace that will reveal to you the idols that you're still clinging to in your life. Because it's the very times in my life that I am stressed. It's the very times in my life that I am worried. It's the very times in my life that I feel discontent. That my idols are being threatened. And something's coming after them. And what I need to do is to ask Jesus to come after and surgically remove those things. Just like he offered to do for that young man in Mark 10. And as we do, Paul gives us this incredible promise. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. Right? I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Okay, first, let's just keep this verse in context. Okay, especially you athletes out there. Paul's not saying I can go out and shoot 18 under par in the golf course this afternoon, or that I can win a boxing match or football game. Because in Christ I can do everything. He's talking about how he's learned to be content in every situation, for he can do everything through Jesus. What Paul is saying is this: I can do everything that Jesus calls me to do by Him strengthening me. Right. Man, if only somebody could have grabbed that young man in Mark 10 right, and said, "Bro, you don't understand." I know that sounded like a lot I know that it feels like a lot to sell everything you have but that's because you've given your heart to it if you'll just trust Jesus with that and say yes to him he'll actually give you a new heart and he'll change your desires, he will fulfill you and you will not be left lacking or wanting even if you physically or materially are no longer rich because when your heart belongs only to Christ you won't need any of that stuff anymore he will take hold of you and he will be enough and somebody could have just gotten through to him on that. Right. Now, what about us? Right. But what, let's let Paul grab hold of us this morning. Better yet, let's, let's let God's Spirit grab hold of us this morning and say, "Listen, I know. I know it sounds like a lot to let go of control. I know it feels like a lot to trust me with your future." I know it feels like a lot to to trust me with your family. I know that it sounds like a lot to to give more than you're comfortable with. I know I'm asking a lot for you to end this relationship that is not honoring to me. I know it feels like a lot to, to leave that job. I know it feels like a lot to share your life with those people. They don't even deserve it. I know it sounds like a lot to love that person with no guarantee they'll ever love you back. But I wouldn't be asking for it if it didn't own a part of your heart. And if you'll just trust me and say yes to me, then I can actually change your heart. I can change your desires, and you'll find that I'm more than enough. Man, the book of Philippians should make you ask some really, really difficult questions. I mean, can you really defeat worry in your life? Can you really die to self? Can you really just never see yourself as a victim again? Can you really just stop being offended? Can you really find joy always? Can you really experience peace regardless of the circumstances of your life? Can you really be content in all situations? Well, Paul opens the book by saying this. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And then he closes the book by saying you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. The message of this book, as hard as it is, is yes, you can rise above. You can have that experience. That can be your story in Jesus Christ. So just let go of whatever you're clinging to. Let go of what idols own you and ask Jesus to own all of your heart and ask Him to help you give it to Him. And you too can rise above. Let's pray. Father, there are many days and many moments where I'm so thankful that Paul was a man. He was a man with the same sinful nature and the same limitations and the same struggles that me and everyone in this room have. And yet he could stay openly and joyfully about the amazing life change that had occurred in his heart when he surrendered his everything to you. God, we know that same offer exists for us. We know that if we just submit, you can do a work in our lives that we could never do in ourselves. But Father, there are things that we cling to. There are things that we hold. There are things that we even worship. And sometimes we don't even realize we're doing it until your spirit comes and reveals that to us. And so I pray now that around this room, you will point out the very idols we're clinging to in our lives. They might be people, they might be relationships, they might be uh, characteristics, they might be control. Uh, It could be anything, God. Health, wealth, material things, prosperity, whatever it is, Lord. That we are pursuing, that we are clinging to, that we are holding on to, instead of surrendering it to you. Come and surgically remove that from our lives today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Let's stand and sing together. the curse You shine in the light of God on your face today And your storms You breathe in the breath God in your lungs For us Mother the earth You're giving us life With God's open
2: for coming today. I um, wanted to end uh, today with just a quick message, a, an announcement. Um, obviously, uh, Student Life Camp is nearly approaching. Uh, we're actually going to two locations this year. first one's in like three weeks. Um, so we're super excited about it um but we wanted to provide an opportunity for you we've had a lot of people tell us that they want to be a part of this and uh, so the first thing i just want to say uh, is thank you um, to the people who have already been a part of 14 uh, for the people who have been a part of this since 2008 and long before 2008 we've been going to this camp for a long time and we stick to it because of their devotion and commitment to the word of god and um, it is a great experience every single year we're super excited about it um so thank you. Uh, I don't know if you guys realize how unique it is for a local church to have uh, such a passion and desire um, for students uh, elementary all the way through college age. Um, we have a ministry for every single age group and uh, that is unique. Uh, most people even blame the local church uh, for kind of the, uh, the fall of, uh, of youth from the church and uh, I can honestly say that's just not the case with this place and it hasn't been forever since I've been here. Um, So thank you. Uh, Thank you for your love and commitment to students, um, to see them grow, to see them learn. Student Life Camp is just a part um, of a wider thing that we do. But if you would like to be a part of 2014 with us, um, we wanted to give you an opportunity. Like I said, many people have been asking how they can be a part. One of those ways is a scholarship-sponsored program that we'll do. Um, Essentially, all it is is uh, you let us know you're interested, and we'll give you um, the balance And some prayer needs uh, for a student uh, who needs to go to camp. We believe that God wants them there, uh, but they have not the funds. And um, um, we just want to give you that opportunity if you are interested. So if you have further questions about that, me and Travis will be located in the Welcome Center. Uh, There's a sign-up sheet there that you can put your name on if you're interested in doing this. Or if you want to keep it anonymous, just talk to me or Travis. Also, there's a uh, list out there of all the students going to each camp. uh, So you'll be able to see the names. And um, we'd love to have you be a part of it in whichever way that you would. Uh, But more than anything, thank you so much uh, for the way that you have and and continue to just love and and encourage and support uh, student ministries here at First Baptist. Uh, So with that, you are dismissed. Have a good day, and uh, we'll see you next week.